get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Happy New Year, everybody. First TSN Hockey Analytics of 2019, ready to roll. I'm Andy McNamara. You're listening on TSN 10. 50 Toronto. Great show for you today. Travis Yost is back in the leadoff spot from TSN.ca in just a moment. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey, one of their great analysts and Roto World analytics writers. Ryan Clark, Colorado Avalanche reporter from The Athletic, also stops by in your weekly dose of fantasy hockey tips from NHL.com's James Harding. Let's welcome the man back in. He took, he took a bye week. And now he is ready to roll, Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Travis, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? Happy New Year. You know, in the middle of that bye week, I, I did think of one question I had to ask you. As, oh. as resident Canadian of us, uh, do, you, do you smell a gold medal here for USA at the World Junior? Oh, wow. You're going there, huh? Is that too soon? Well, I, I, listen, I, I stopped paying attention as soon as that, that, that finish goal went in. Sorry. <laughs> What a guy. That's when the tournament ends north of the 45th. That's when it ends. It's over, and nobody is paying attention after that. Are you going to rub into that you're on route to Hawaii or something else, Travis? You want to dig anything else here? No, 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 not at all. I just, uh, (laughs) you know, the the reality of hockey in North America is Canada owns the United States pretty much every which way. (laughs) Um, but we, we've been making a, a little bit of an inroad, I feel like, at World Juniors the last decade or so. Yeah, hey, you know what? It's got to happen at some point, right? So, <laughs> a gradual... And, it's not, and, and, and what I think the coolest thing is, it's not really just us, right? Like, it's, it's really Finland, Sweden. Like, there's a core group of six teams now that you can throw into pretty much any tournament, and it's competitive. So Which I, is I, good. Right? Like, okay, as Canadians, listen, we, we want to win the gold every year, I, honestly. But at the same point, if it's not competitive, it's not really that fun. Andy, Andy, you have this completely right. Like I, Team USA basketball is the probably the, I don't know, the hallmark example of a team yeah. that just obliterates everyone. And there's nothing more exciting when they play, I don't know, when it was Argentina a few years ago or Croatia or Serbia or some of these more developed teams that can really give them a game through four quarters. I, I find that to be the most compelling version of basketball. Yeah, absolutely. You need some competition. You need a little bit of rivalry. Well, let's get into the NHL here, Travis. And as uh, usual, we start with one of your pieces on tsn.ca. Let's take a look at the Washington Capitals. Because when you look at a team typically coming off of a championship, there there might be a, a championship hangover, right? Not just the one Ovi's been carrying, I'm sure, the whole year. <laughs> coming off of his partying off of that championship. But you look at the Caps. First place in the Metro. 6-3-1 and one in their uh, last 10. Now, they've been on a little bit of a slide, right? But overall, you got Ovechkin leading the league in goals. Like, is this team primed for a repeat Stanley Cup? They're primed to be a very legitimate uh, candidate to overthrow who I think is the prohibitive favorite right now, which is Tampa Bay. Like, it's yeah. still proven otherwise. Tampa Bay is going to be the team to knock off. And I, I get that the Capitals won the Stanley Cup last year, but uh, the Lightning have exemplified themselves as the best team in the NHL. I don't think that's in dispute. I will say this, though. Um, you know, I spent some time watching the Capitals over the last two weeks uh, with, with a lot more depth than I would usually watch a, a team. And one of the things that I really noticed and what really spurred that piece was, it. you know, everyone thinks about that team as, okay, they've got the Ovechkin line of 5-on-5, five five, which just uh, obliterates everyone. And they've got this ridiculous power play, and they've got a goaltender, and everything else is solid, and that's how they get through. But that, that's not really the case this year. Um, and it has been in the last couple of years. I mean, all those things are true, but on top of that, they really do have a second and third line that are equally, or not equally, but pretty close to equally terrifying. 
when they're on the ice. I, I looked at, um, you know, the, the last two games that the Capitals have played, if you've watched their second and third line, they are generating just heaps of scoring chances from the slot. And every time you look at it, you're like, man, who, who took that shot or who set that play up? And every time I looked, it wasn't the Ovechkin line. And I'm like, this, this is the kind of depth that scares teams. And, and here was the interesting finding, I think, from the piece. The two players who have most favorably impacted their teammates' shot distances in the entire league, and I looked at every single center in the entire league, minimum of like 75 faceoffs. Number one is Lars Eller, and number two is Evgeny Kuznetsov. So you're talking about your second and third line centers here. Um, and, and they've mixed and matched, obviously, with who they've played with on those lines, and they've been flexed up and down accordingly. But generally speaking, you've got now behind Backstrom and Ovechkin and all these greats, you've got guys who are dr- drilling the puck into those premier scoring areas. And if you're a goaltender or you're an opposing blue line and you know you've got three, at a minimum, credible lines of attack, that's what makes you so, so hard to defend. I mean, the same thing is true. We see that with Toronto. We see that with Tampa Bay. We see that with Winnipeg. Like, those are the teams that really push deep into the playoffs because even when one line goes through a brief scoring slump, you've got other lines right there ready to pick you up. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Let's stick in the Metro here and talk about the success of the Capitals. What about the Pittsburgh Penguins? 9-1 and one in their last 10. They've won 8 in a row, tied in points with the Capitals. So we know Sidney Crosby has been synonymous with having strong second-half runs and really picking up his play on the march to the playoffs. Now he and the Pens are on that roll. What do you make of the, 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 the Pittsburgh Penguins as far as being the, the next group when we look overall? You talked about Tampa, we got Washington, and then the, 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 the Penguins are, are right there too. I guess you got to throw in the Jets as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think Pittsburgh's still in that second tier. They're not in that first tier of classic teams. Uh, and I, I get that they're very hot of late, but you know something that's kind of bothered me a little bit about Pittsburgh is this is now at least the second, if not the third year in a row, where they've really gotten off to a slow start and had to do a lot of work in the regular season to play catch-up. Now, clearly, they have the talent to do that. Um, you know, And if Pittsburgh gives you 65 quality regular season games, they're almost always going to get into the playoffs, and, and probably with a good seed because of how much star power they have throughout the lineup. But you know, the, the, the criticisms with Pittsburgh last year are still generally true this year, which is not a very deep team. And when they've got their top six and their top four out, you know, out there, they are extremely formidable and maybe better than some of the other premier teams in the league. But you know the depth issues are still pretty uh, pretty scary. If you're if you're a Penguins, if you're in the Penguins front office, that's probably the thing that keeps you up at night. I mean, this is I would say it's pretty collinear with uh, the issues that Boston has had over the years ago, where they, you know we've talked about them ad nauseum about how, the type of depth issues they have and generally the issues they face when they run into more talented, deeper teams. I, you'd be a fool to bet against guys like Sidney Crosby and Kenny Mock. I mean, they, they, you bet against them for 15 years, and 15 years in a row, you would have been wrong. Um, but you know, when we when we have to hold them to a higher standard, we're not talking about will they make the playoffs. We're talking about can they win the East. And right now, I I, I don't see any possible argument for them being a, a anything more than a two dollar underdog, probably in a series against Tampa Bay. And honestly, Washington probably looks like the better of those two teams as well. And Travis, let's go to the injury front here. And a couple notable names on that list. You have Elias Pettersson didn't return to Thursday's game against the Canadians. Apparent leg injury. Buffalo Sabres expected to miss Jack Eichel for at least one more game with an upper body injury. So both Vancouver and Buffalo teams that have had a positive season in terms of growth and I think overachieving is safe to say. But if either player is out for a long time, that growth could stall pretty quick. Of the two teams, Vancouver and Buffalo, would either be capable of 
missing their best player for more than a handful of games and still continuing that positive growth and staying in the playoff picture? Uh, well, at least in Buffalo's case, they've built, them a nice bu- built themselves a little bit of a buffer because of how hot they were in the beginning of the year. But um, yeah, here's reality, uh, Andy, you know. I mean, you, you cannot replace Elias Pettersson. You cannot no. replace Jack Eichel. I mean, it, it, Jack Eichel is a top-20 player in the league at this point, and Buffalo was, I don't know if you want to call them a rebuilding team this year, but a quasi-rebuilding team. I mean, they, no, one, no one in that organization you know, was prepared for, one, a very credible playoff push, and even to the extent that they were, and I have this wrong, they certainly weren't prepared to have the, the depth pieces ready to supplement these, uh, these types of injuries. I mean, that, that stuff grows organically over time. You've got to draft, you've got to develop, and you've got to make smart acquisitions, and the, the Sabres are still trying to get a general feel for, for what their roster looks like long-term. Um, I will say this, though. I, both of the injuries interested me for different reasons. Uh, Pedersen is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. You cannot say enough about the skill and talent this kid has. Uh, he, he makes Vancouver eminently watchable every single night. His injury sounds like a, a fa- it could be a fairly substantial one where he could miss a few weeks. That, that is concerning because he's clearly the best playmaker on that team. It's not even close. The Eichel injury is interesting for a different reason. They, they have him, you know, rumor mill or reports are saying that he's going to come back in the next couple games. But I did find it interesting that he was suited up, dressed, ready to play, pulled himself effectively out of the lineup and out of the game, and then went basically and was shouldered uh, or sidelined, I should say, for multiple games. That, that, that's pretty uncommon, right? Usually when mm-hmm. a guy goes on the ice and he's, and he's given, uh, given himself a feel He's close, right? And he, maybe he misses a game or maybe he, he plays on a third or fourth line in kind of a, a protected role when he comes back maybe two or three days later. Very weird that a player pulled himself out of a lineup and missed, I don't want to say significant time, but multiple games basically is what we're looking at here. So I, I'm actually curious to hear if we, uh, see if we hear more about Eichel's injury because that, that's not a common theme that we see in the NHL. No, not at all. Travis, great stuff as always, and people can find your great work on tsn.ca and on Twitter at Travis Yost. Uh, Happy New Year again, my friend, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, take care, Andy. There he goes, Travis Yost, tsn.ca. Take the break. And on the other side, it is McKean's hockey analyst and Roto World analytics writer Gus Katsaros coming up after this on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. The first TSN Hockey Analytics show of 2019. Hope everybody had a terrific holiday season. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. If you miss any of the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, the TSN1050.ca show page. And of course, again, we'll tweet it out from at TSN Analytics. Let's head over to our guy, Gus Katsaros, McKean's Hockey Analyst and Roto World Analytics Writer. Gus, Happy New Year, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you very much. Well, Gus, you know what? It's, it's a Happy New Year overall, but Maple Leaf fans, when it comes to William Nylander, the, the time is over. We gotta, I think we got to push the alarm, man. We got, yeah. Oh, boy. Take cover under the tables. It is time. Um, Gus, what are we supposed to make of William Nylander? 12 games, just one goal. Now, the, the goal came in his last game on Thursday in the loss to the Wild, but one goal, two assists in 12 games. What are we supposed to make out of William Nylander? Is it panic time? Well, 
I mean, it's nice to see him get that monkey off his back and, and like, even the the literal portrayal of him throwing it off his back after he scored that first goal. <laughs> but we have to kind of consider that Nylander has been um, a mediocre scorer at even strength for the better part of two seasons. He scored 11 two seasons ago, 12 last season. And last season in particular, he went 33 games without scoring a five-on-five goal. Now, he, did a, he had a little bit of balance on the power play, but at the same time, he was playing on the opposite wing, with Martin, uh, sorry, with Matthews controlling on one side, Nylander controlling on the other side, and that isn't something that's happening this year with Marner usurping him um, in that spot. So to expect Nylander's goal scoring to increase, I think, might be a bit uh, uh, misattuned. What he is is a playmaker, and he has tactical applications, meaning that his speed and the playmaking and his rushing ability to get pucks through the neutral zone, um, he pushes defensemen back when the Leafs try to blow the zone with uh, uh, aerial passes trying to get out, and he controls that right side. He's a primarily a playmaker. So if he can continue to at least contribute primarily as a playmaker, because when you even look at his assist totals within all these goal slumping um, uh, scenarios, they're always a primary. So he is generating scoring chances. If he can continue to do that after coming up to speed, I mean, right now what we've seen is him struggling through no training camp at playing against competition that's already been um, warmed up and ready to go. He needs a little bit of time to kind of get up to that speed. I think that the points will come. I don't think that the goals in particular are going to increase, though. He needs to operate as a playmaker. Well, I think that's a great point you make, and I was just going to mention that because, yeah, Nylander didn't have the exhibition games. He didn't start at the same time for everybody else who is now clicking here. But after the 12-game mark, all right, now we should start to see as he's playing catch-up, and it might take the rest of the regular season, really. But still, the legs should be fresher. And I think if you're the Maple Leafs, you have to hope whether the full actual goal scoring or playmaking ability can find its way and click when you're getting into that February, that March, and really pushing to the playoffs. That's really, hey, if he's going to struggle, struggle now, and then find your groove when it comes playoff time. Yeah, that's exactly it. Get it over and done with yeah. and try to figure it out and experiment. And this is also on the Leafs coaching staff, too. They need to tinker and figure out where he really needs to be in the lineup to be an optimal asset. In conversation with Gus Katsaros on Twitter, at Cats Hockey, McKean's Hockey Analyst. Okay, Gus, goaltending conversation time. Uh, Freddie Anderson, we know how good he was early in the year. It's been a big topic around the city. Michael Hutchinson is expected to make consecutive starts. Freddie Anderson on IR. Garrett Sparks, concussion protocol. So for as much conversation that we've had surrounding Anderson's workload, could a stint on the injured reserve in the middle of the season with the Leafs Actually, as long as he comes back and we don't see any relapses or other injuries, but this forced time off, could this actually be a good thing long-term coming to the playoffs? It's a little bit ill-timed simply yeah. because of the fact of Garrett Sparks with his concussion and, and the kind of carousel that the Leafs have been playing with their goaltenders, even from like uh, losing goaltenders at the waiver at the beginning of the season. So it, to me, I feel that that's a position that they felt that they had solidified. If Anderson did go down, they had something in Sparks. If Sparks went down, something else. So uh, to address your question, um, I think I'd always approach an IR stint or even something 
in terms of an injury to provide rest for a goaltender that gets a really high workload. Injuries don't have the effect of really producing rest because you still have to work through it and you still have to battle through the healing process. So as much as it might be a little bit of a blessing, if you want to call it that, um, for the fact that he doesn't have to play as much, um, I would be concerned that it took an injury rather than a tactical observation and a strategical application of his, um, his workload coming from the coaching staff. So I'd approach that in a little bit more cautious way than thinking that it's a bit of a, a like a blessing in disguise. Right. And you got to feel for, for Garrett Sparks as well, because people criticizing off the, off the bat coming off cold, he needed some time to get into a groove to really show if he could be the, the one, two punch for that goaltending. So now that he's off, it's on Hutchinson. So that'll be interesting to follow there. Um, Gus, let's uh, want to give a quick shout out to our buddy Gareth Wheeler here on TSN 1050, who did a Twitter poll earlier in the week for Leaf fans asking about Nazem Kadri and what he is for the Maple Leafs. So I want to get your vote on the poll. Is he a matchup center, a team-friendly contract, a trade ship, or a core piece of this team? How would you vote on Nazem Kadri to the Maple Leafs? So, you see, I think from the moment he was drafted up until the point where, let's say even the first season when Babcock became coach, he was a core piece. Mm -hmm. He was one of the pieces that the Leafs were attempting to build around, and he was producing at that point as a core piece as well. But when you started adding the pieces like Nylander and Marner and and Matthews, and then they ship in an airlift John Tavares, um, you can't expect Kadri to really be a core piece anymore. I mean, if those four players are essentially leading the offense, um, he becomes a supplementary player, a little bit more of a support player. But at the same time, if anything happens in terms of injury to any of those players or anybody in the top six, he can easily slip up there. So he's a little bit more than a core player. Uh, Sorry, he's a little bit more than a support player, but I'm not really sure that he's part of the Leafs' core anymore. That team-friendly contract is perfect because he can now be slotted in as a third-line center, and from the value that the contract is portraying, um, that third-line spot could potentially be an ideal spot for a player of his caliber. The, the fans voted thirty five percent core piece. Just that's uh, that's how that's how the that's how the fans feel. But I'm I'm with you. But one thing we can't deny, no matter which way you look at Nazem Kadri, is his toughness to this Leafs roster. So it, he we know he plays likes to play on that edge. Sometimes gets him in trouble. But the conversation as well, really outside of upgrading a defense for Leaf fans, is do the Leafs need to get tougher? Do they need to bolster their lineup in that area come playoff time? What do you think for for the Leafs, uh, Gus, when it comes to actually adding a tough body? Because we have to keep in mind, you can say that, but this isn't like 90s NHL where you, you pop on a goon. Like the, Everybody has to be able to play and contribute. That is exactly the point that I really wanted to stress. It's not like they're looking at toughness as being something that um, it's a, the antiquated notion that we had from the past, um, either a fighter or an enforcer or somebody that's, you know, quote unquote, an energy player that's just supposed to go out there and bang, crash, yeah. smash. That, that's not ideal what toughness is in today's NHL. What today's NHL really requires from um, the word toughness is intelligent physicality. It's the way that Daryl Belfry approaches physicality. There are points in time, key moments in a game where a player has to either sacrifice his body or make a hit. Sometimes it's to finish off a hit. Um, sometimes it's to just put your body in the way so you allow a teammate to be able to make a play. The Leafs don't do that very well. So if they have to improve toughness, they don't have to bring in another guy. They don't need to bring in more sandpaper. They don't need to bring in an antiquated notion of toughness. They need to instill the habit 
within their entire roster that there are specific times and key moments in the game where a player will have to make that kind of a sacrifice. It's mostly in the defense to try to get pucks back. And that's why I really stress that um, like even a player like Austin Matthews, and I'm remembering a specific play against Detroit where all he had to do was just put his body in the way and he would have shielded uh, Jake Gardner from making an errant uh, play that led to a uh, Detroit's first goal. That's a skilled player that forced his way not to use an area where his physicality could have portrayed a positive attribute. And I think that's where the Leafs start to lose a little bit of the toughness game. They don't need to bring in a tougher set of players or anybody to augment that. They need to instill the habits that required in order to get putts back, advance the play, and be able to help out your teammates on a play-by-play basis. So until they end up doing that, they're always going to be questioned about their toughness. Chatting with Gus Katsaris on the Domino's Pizza delivery line. Go grab a large four-topping pizza for just twelve ninety-nine. Perfect hockey food. Get it for the big game or whatever occasion. Domino's.ca. That's Domino's.ca. Last one for you here, Gus. When we look at the Atlantic kind of big picture entering 2019, boy, it is starting to tighten. You got the Habs at 49 points, Buffalo and Boston at 50, the Leafs at 54. They're breathing down their necks, and then kind of Tampa Bay above everybody else. Should the Leafs start getting a little bit nervous about these other teams creeping up the standings? I would, absolutely. You always have to be aware of what other teams are doing. Um, Going into the second part of the season, you always want to maintain the lead. I think it's a little bit tougher with the way that the point system is um, um, situated in the NHL. It's a lot easier to defend a point lead than it is to make up points just because of uh, three-point games leading down the stretch in all the cases. Now, at the same time, the Leafs are only five points out of being out of the playoffs. If they have goaltending problems and they've already lost two games and the goaltending doesn't isn't able to support their goal scoring and their goal scoring isn't able to support uh, the level of goaltending that they get over the next few games. Now all of a sudden when Anderson potentially comes back, they're fighting for a playoff spot rather than being second in the division. So I think that the Leafs do have a legitimate um, concern and it's not just them. Boston has the same concern. Everybody fighting for a playoff spot is going to be just hungry enough in the second half to try to take over somebody's spot and somebody's going to fail. And if the Leafs are able to just maintain the same level of skill and scoring um, and outscore their their opponents and hopefully get average enough goaltending over the short term, when Anderson comes back, I think that they'll be okay down the stretch. Gus, great stuff as always, man. Let's do it again soon. Pleasure is always mine, Andy. Thank you very much. All right, so there he goes. Gus Katsaros, McKean's hockey analyst and Roto World analytics writer on Twitter. Follow him at Cats. Hockey. We will head out west after the break. Ryan Clark, Colorado Avalanche reporter from The Athletic. A lot of interesting things happening with the Avs. We'll check in with Ryan Clark next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome back, TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. You can get the show on iTunes, tsn1050.ca show page on Twitter. And post the link at TSN Analytics and at AndyMC81. We are delivered by Domino's. Go try the Piece of the Pie Rewards program, people, okay? Free to join. This is what you do. You go to Domino's.ca, top right corner, you'll see Piece of the Pie Rewards. Any online order that comes to $10 or more, you get 10 points. At 60 points, you get free pizza. 
That's it. You get pizza for ordering pizza. It's beautiful. Check out all the great deals at dominoes.ca. That is dominoes.ca. And joining me on the Domino's Pizza Delivery Line, it is Ryan Clark. He is the Colorado Avalanche reporter from The Athletic. Ryan, how's it going, man? Good, my friend. How are you doing this morning? Well, I guess in your case, afternoon. Yes, it is just afternoon. You're still, what, you're two hours behind us, right? Behind Toronto time? Yes. Yes. I I don't call it Eastern Toronto time because we're, you know, the center of the universe, right? So... It's all good. Of course. (laughs) Ryan, let's look at this Avalanche team. Fun and exciting club to watch. Now, they've gone through a bit of a a tough stretch lately, right? They got their first win in seven games the other night. But that line, Miko Ratnan having the second most points in the league to date, that that line that just got broken up kind of recently with Gabriel uh, Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon has been considered one of the most productive in the league. This recent blip, which has them sitting... um, in the uh, what three five and one or three five and two in their last ten, and they're fourth in the central. Is this just kind of something? Okay, mid season, you, you deal with it, or is there any sort of concern moving forward for the Avalanche? You know, it's somewhere in the middle. Just because when you look at the issues that have plagued the Avalanche, these have been things that we've seen throughout the course of the year that have been issues. So really, the big overarching theme has been middle mistakes, and we saw it really against San Jose, where Gabriel Bork failed to clear the puck twice on two power plays, uh, and it led to San Jose taking a 2 nothing lead off the man advantage. Uh, then there was a turnover that Tyson Berry had that also led to a goal as well. And so those have been things that Jared Bednar has talked about in terms of just how do you reduce that. And, so, and as it relates to the penalty kill, this was a penalty kill that was fourth in the league last year. Right now, I want to say going into Friday, it was 25th out of 31st, and there's been a lot of issues and it really has come back to clearing the puck, but also it's the fact that Colorado is one of the more assessed teams in the NHL. I want to say top five, actually. And because of that, you're putting more and more stress on a penalty kill that's already being taxed as is. And so really, yes, these were things that they came up at a, at a point in the season where you thought, okay, they're finally at home because they've been on the road so much, and it's going to be a comfortable home stretch because Los Angeles, Chicago are teams that you would think they would have won against. And instead some of those issues really came to light. Now, what we saw with the Rangers last night was when you get 10 power play opportunities, you should win a game. And yes, they were <laughs> able to win, you know, certainly 6-1. But the thing that you saw was is a lot of those mistakes that had been so present in the last week or two, they weren't there. Now the question is how do you continue that? Because when you think about this upcoming stretch as they go through Canada, they're already 0-2 against the Flames. They're 0-1 against the Jets. Granted, they haven't played the Leafs yet, but that cadre of teams like Nashville, um, Tampa, Winnipeg, those teams that you look at and say, and San Jose, the teams you look at and say, hey, those are your cup contenders, they've only won once against those teams. So, again, it's going to be a really interesting stretch going forward. And one of the reasons, Ryan, that the, the league's best line, one of the league's best line in Colorado was broken up is because the Avalanche are trying to get that, that scoring depth throughout the lineup, right? And you're, it's that balance because it's tough. Do you stick with what's working at such an insanely productive level or do you try to, to spread it out and not make yourself so one-dimensional? Uh, what do you think is going to be the right strategy moving forward long-term for the rest of the season for Colorado? Well, in terms of the rest of the season, there's been a real discussion here in Denver about is this something where they go ahead and make a trade and try to get Kevin Hayes, Jimmy hmm. D.C., uh, Wayne Simmons, someone like that. I mean, pie in the sky for a lot of fans would be Mark Stone and, and, and whatnot. Because, I mean, hey, Toronto, excuse me, because the Avalanche have already had, you know, fun trading with the Senators already. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and, or it's the discussion of do you try to let this thing work internally and then next year through the draft, 
or I guess the summer through the draft, you try to find someone who can drive the second line that way. And so we've seen Jared Bednar go back to putting Gabriel Landeskog on the top line, but as far as getting that secondary scoring, you know, it's really kind of been a school of thought of do you need a second-line center or do you really just need someone who can sort of drive that line? And so what we're seeing right now is he's put JT Comper, Alexander Kerfa, and Tyson Jost on the second line, which he did that at times last year, and they all bring something different. Kerfa's a playmaker, Jost is more the scorer, and, and Comper is the two-way you know, presence between the two. And so what you have there are three guys who are young, who they know each other's games real well. In fact, they're all roommates, well, housemates. They all live in the same house here in Denver. And so there is a cohesion there, but really the thing is is how do you find consistency and that's been really the $20,000 question with this group so once they find it with the second line I mean this is a team that should be able to take off in that regard in conversation with Ryan Clark Colorado Avalanche reporter of the athletic on Twitter at Ryan underscore s underscore Clark there's a lot of Ryan Clarks there eh? Ryan you gotta just separate it out just to make sure right Yeah, because I always get tweets like, oh, my God, I love you when you're with the Steelers. And it's like, wrong Ryan Clark. Like... Come on, people. Come on. It's not that hard. That's a couple underscores. Let's go. Uh, right. If we look at the Avalanche, an intriguing stat, I guess, is that they lead the league in overtime losses. And it's it's interesting because for a roster that is one of the league's fastest players in Nathan McKinnon and the second best point producer in Ratnan, what's the missing piece when it comes to this team in three on three hockey? Because that seems like a recipe where they should be thriving. One would think. Um, <laughs> and there's been a couple reasons as to why that's been first has been face-off. This is a team that has struggled really for a while now in terms of controlling the draw. And, and Samuel Gerard, when I was asking him about this, you know, made the point that if, hey, they can control the draw, that gives them the opportunity really kind of to dictate things early so they're not on the defensive. And then that leads to the second aspect of all this is the fact that, like, it's some sort of going back to the argument of middle mistakes that just continue to pop up. So let's look at the overtime loss they had against the Kings recently. Miko Rantanen was coming off, and as he was coming off, Dustin Brown was coming on, and Dustin Brown was already parked at the blue line. Instead of Rantanen staying and, and having a longer than, than maybe expected shift, he went to the bench, and Jake Muzzin, from basically his own net, fed a stretch pass to, to Brown that ended up leading into a breakaway. And for the guy who was coming on for Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, he had to dive really at center ice to try to stop a puck, and he was already 20 feet away from Dustin Brown. So, like, it is those sorts of things that continue to hurt this team. And even when Jared Bednar set, you know, talked about it, he's like, look, if you go through game by game, you can point out a mental mistake. And, I mean, that's something that we kind of did a story on at The Athletic where we looked at what's been the issue. And it's been stuff such as allowing shorthanded goals. There have been times where they enter the, the third – excuse me, they enter overtime already on the penalty kill. And so, again, it's just – it's these, these compromising things that they do to put themselves in these tough positions. So, yes, you would think with the talent they'd be fine, but when you can't win face-offs, when you're letting teams go on the power play, and then when you're having things like shift changes be a problem, it doesn't matter who you have out there. It's just about making sure that those things get rectified so you can have a chance to win. And Ryan, last one for you here. When you look overall, GM Joe Sackick has a lot to be happy about. You have Nathan McKinnon signed until 2023. Very uh, valuable salary, right? $6.3 million cap hit. Oh, it's a friendly salary when you right? look at it now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why you, you lock him up long term and those salaries that may have looked a little high at one point look good. Then you got the Ottawa Senators first round pick. That could end up being a first overall selection when 
you see that they're in that tough central division. We talked about a little bit about what they might look at trade-wise. What do you think that Sackick still has to do to make the Avalanche, really either for this season or, or moving forward, true cup contenders? I mean, someone who can drive that second line. I know that's something we just you know discussed mm-hmm. a few minutes ago, but really that is such a big element. And then from there, it's really kind of looking at how you manage this core going forward. So, yes, there's McKinnon, there's Randon, uh, there's Landeskog, there's Jost, there's Comfort, there's Kerfoot. Those are six skaters, all forwards, who are 26 and younger, which is a great place to start from. But then when you look at the whole idea of where they look at from, from prospects as well, you've got Martin Cout, who just had a strong World Junior tournament, and he's their first-rounder from this past summer, and he's thought to be up here next year. Uh, Shane Bowers, who represented Canada uh, at the World Juniors, there's a possibility that he could be with this team next year. Kale McCarr, the star defenseman at UMass, who was their first-round pick in 2017, he's another player who really figures into this situation. Then there's the number, presumably number one, or let's say lottery pick to be safe. Yeah. The lottery pick, and depending on who that is, they could come into the team. There's a possibility Connor Timmons could come to this team. So really it's about how do you manage all those young pieces to the point where you put that product on the ice and it's everything you want. So with Sackick, where it stands right now, is it's just filling those holes. And if they can get someone who works on that second line, they're set. First line, they're, they're fine. Third line, I mean, with what they have now with Calvert, Soderbergh, and Nieto, it's a line that's been, you know, given their, their history, it's been productive. But when you think about what that line could look like in the next few years with Bowers coming in with his speed and uh, what he does on faceoffs and his ability in a, in a two-way game, Martin Cowell with what he does in a two-way game and the fact that he's getting adjusted to the North American uh, style as well. Like, there's a lot to be optimistic about. But, again, that's really the funny part about covering this team is, there's an expectation in Denver that because they made the playoffs last year, they should make it this year. But because of all that, I think sometimes people overlook the fact that this is a team that's still technically very much in a rebuild. So mm-hmm. Sackett's in a good spot. It's just a matter of what do you want to do? Do you want to try to move some of those assets now? Because you do have five picks in the first three rounds of the draft to maybe try to get someone who can help you this year. Or do you just let things play out, trust what you built, and then once – this coming summer has ran its course with re-signing Miko Ranton and other players, the draft and free agency. You look at what you have and go, okay, now has the window started. Right. Well, it's going to be an exciting rest of the season and to see how this team develops. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed this. Hey, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there he goes. Ryan Clark, Colorado Avalanche reporter from The Athletic. Get him on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. We'll get into some fantasy hockey talk After the break, James Harding from NHL.com, their terrific fantasy writer, will break down some stock up, stock down, fantasy tips heading into this weekend. James Harding joins me on the Domino's Pizza delivery line after the break as we wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics. There's no better way to drive home than with these guys. Is O calling you right now? Just answer it. Hey. Hey, Buzz. You're on air. Yeah, we're on the air right now. (laughs) Yeah, what time are you? uh, Are you in Switzerland? (laughs) You know what? I'd like to punch both of you right in the face right now. This guy is so lost in that time zone. Yeah, he thinks it's 1 o'clock everywhere on Earth. <laughs> Overdrive with Hayes Noodles and the O-Dog. Every weekday, 4 to 7 p.m. on TSN 1050. SN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. We are delivered by Domino's, folks. Don't forget, get a large four-topping pizza for just $12.99. 
Check out all the great deals online at dominoes.ca. Carry out delivery. Side dishes, the cheesy bread people. Come on now. The cheesy bread, phenomenal. Boneless chicken, pasta, marble cookie brown, a lava cakes for dessert. Check it all out at dominoes.ca. That's dominoes.ca. Let's get into a little fantasy hockey talk here on the Domino's delivery line. He's from NHL.com, NHL fantasy expert. It is my guy, James Harding. James, happy new year, my friend. How are you? Uh, happy new year to you as well, Andy. I'm doing well. First question, though, for you. Who do you think the next Browns head coach is going to oh, be? That, a great question, James. A great question. Um, I honestly, if I had my pick, it'd be Greg Williams and Freddie Kitchens as a combo. But outside of that's not it, I have no freaking idea. It's going to be it's going to be a very interesting offseason with all the the NFL coaching vacancies. That's uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun offseason. First time in a long time that the Browns are an appealing destination. <laughs> yes, yes, you are absolutely right. But you know what? Hey, James, you know what? Pe- people come for the NHL.com fantasy hockey guru. That's you, brother. And your uh, stock up, stock down, which we're going to get to in just a moment, brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants all across the GTA. You got the great food, great beer, great times. You can come in and watch the game. You can have a fine dining experience. Check them out. You need to do it. Three Brewers Micro brewery restaurants okay stock up stock down time brother who is your stock up give me two stock up for your fantasy team heading into the weekend yeah heading into the weekend my first stock up from the boston bruins is winger jake debrusque uh left wing right wing eligible so dual eligible in yahoo only 22 percent owned uh he has points in three of his four games since returning from a concussion he scored two goals and had six shots on goal in their 6-4 win against the Flames on Thursday, skating on the second line there with David Krejci and Ryan Donato, and is actually skating on the first power play unit with Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, and Tori Krug. Uh, the Brusque started the year slowly, but he's starting to really pick up his scoring now. He's up to 13 goals on the season. Uh, now that he's healthy, he looks confident. Now that he had that extended break from the concussion, so it looks like he's comes back rejuvenated now. Krejci is playing at a high level from his time when he was centering Pasternak and Marchand when Bergeron is back. So I like that duo going forward, but I'm really, really high on Jake DeBrusque right now. And then my second stock up for the weekend from the San Jose Sharks, uh, Eunice Donskoy. Uh, again, another dual-eligible winger, left wing, right wing in Yahoo. Only 4% owned in Yahoo leagues right now. Uh, riding a four-game point streak, he has scored a goal in each of his past three games. He has four goals, two assists, and ten shots on goal on his point streak right now, and he's skating on a line there with Thomas Hurdle and Evander Kane. And right now, Don Skoy has 21 points, uh, 10 goals, and 11 assists in 42 games, putting him on pace for a career-high 41 points. So I like DeBrusque and I like Don Skoy both for this weekend and as potential high upside, uh, low-risk streaming options in fantasy leagues for the rest of the year. Okay, so pop into your DraftKings lineup as well. I love the dual eligibility. That's so important. Okay, so those are stock up. James, a couple of players to avoid, two stock downs. Yeah, a couple of uh, high-profile defensemen that uh, I'm not super high on right now. And the first one from the Buffalo Sabres is Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, He's pointless in his past three games. And with Jack Eichel hurt right now and expected to miss a game or two, that really kind of hurts the top end of that Sabres lineup. Uh, when you look at Ristolainen, 
Uh, he has four very tough matchups coming up in the next week uh, at the Boston Bruins versus at home against the New Jersey Devils. Then they travel to Carolina to face the Hurricanes. And then finally they're back at home against the Tampa Bay Lightning. So a few very tricky matchups in there for Ristolainen right now. If he doesn't have Eichel in the lineup at the top end of that offense for the forwards, uh, that definitely hurts him and a few of the other players there, like Sam Reinhart, Jeff Skinner, uh, in a matchup against the Bruins. But uh, I'm not very high on Ristolainen right now just because of the matchups that he has coming up and his recent production as of late. And then my second stock down for the Minnesota Wild is defenseman Ryan Suter. Uh, he's pointless in three straight games and only has one point, which is an assist, in his past eight games overall. Uh, he has had 27 points this season, but only eight points have come on the road, and three of his next four games are road games against um, Ottawa, Montreal, and then at Boston, and then they come home to face uh, a very, very good Winnipeg Jets team. So uh, I don't really like where Shooter is right now in his production, and I don't like the matchups that he has coming up over the next week. So that was stock up, stock down for your fantasy hockey team heading into the weekend. Brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Check them out. Locations across the GTA. Okay, James, so New Year. It's 2019. Give me a rising fantasy star, whether it's to grab on the waiver wire and kind of ride through the rest of this fantasy hockey season in league play, or, hey, if you want to have it, I guess it can be the same idea, somebody who you'd look to consistently put in your DraftKings lineup. Who's a rising star in 2019? Yeah, and and all this guy is doing right now is scoring and producing for the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's Brandon Peary. And we've talked about him in the last few weeks on the show since his call-up from the AHL in place of Max Pacioretty, who is out right now. And my goodness, Peary is making a case to not only not get sent back down when Pacioretty comes back, but to bump Pacioretty off of that second line where he was skating with Paul Stastny and Alex Tuck. Peary right now has points in six of his first seven games since the call-up. Six goals, three assists, three power play points, and 21 shots on goal in that span uh, with three multi-point games. As I said, he's skating on that second line with Paul Stastny and Alex Tuck, and he's skating on the second power play unit there as well. Uh, He's only single eligible right now as a center in Yahoo leagues, but he is playing the wing. He should gain wing eligibility, making him dual eligible in Yahoo leagues very soon, and he's only 23% owned right now. Uh, If he continues this level of production, there's no way that Vegas is going to have a choice, uh, but they're going to have to keep him up there. And and I really like what he could do in that offense going forward for the rest of the season. That's a nice problem to have for sure for the Vegas Golden Knights who have really started to turn it around after a bit of a sluggish start to the season. In conversation with James Harding, fantasy hockey writer for NHL.com on Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. You can send him your fantasy hockey questions via Twitter. Now, James, let's look at, for this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, a total of 16 games on the NHL slate. Like, this is a busy Saturday and Sunday. So give me a value play for daily. You're going to DraftKings.com. You're picking your NHL contest, and it's a classic tournament style. Who's a value play over this weekend? Because as I said, there's going to be a lot of options out there. 
Yeah, a, a huge slate of games this weekend, but uh, one player that I like in particular, uh, a defenseman from the New York Islanders, is Devon Taves. Uh, absolutely no relation to center Jonathan Taves from the Chicago Blackhawks, but he did beat Jonathan Taves and the Blackhawks on Thursday night with his game-winning goal oh. in overtime, his first career uh, NHL goal in only his fifth game. Uh, but right now, skating on the third pair for the Islanders and running the point on their second power play unit. In five games since his call-up from Bridgeport of the American Hockey League, he has that one goal, and he has 13 shots on goal. So even though he's a rookie, only seeing 18 minutes of, of ice time per game right now, he has not been afraid to jump up in the rush. He has been very, very active. He is consistently shooting the puck, and he's going to be a great value under that $4,000 threshold put in your lineup for DFS uh, as, as a defenseman. So I really like uh, Devon Tays in a favorable matchup on uh, the road on Saturday night against St. Louis. Nice. Okay, so the other Taves. Uh, you just got to keep that in mind. Go go that route. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean putting, putting, putting Jonathan Taves in your lineup is never a bad thing either. Uh, so, you know, you can't really go wrong with either Taves at that point. Right, but the, the other one has the value on it. So, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> Of course. Uh, so that you can pop into your uh, your DraftKings lamp for DFS. Now, let's talk goaltenders, James. And sometimes we overlook goalies. There's so much much else to look for in fantasy hockey. But goalie-wise, when you look at your top fantasy goaltender right now, and then if we take right now and also project ahead, tell me your top fantasy goaltender now. And if it's going to be the same guy for the rest of the season, do you feel? Or if somebody else might jump up? Yeah, I mean, the, the top fantasy goaltender right now, dating back over the last few weeks, is Robin Lehner from the New York Islanders. Uh, he leads the NHL right now with a 2.13 goals against average. He's second with a 9.29 save percentage. Uh, he's 6-0-0 with a .89 goals against and a .970 save percentage in his past six appearances. Um, so right now, I mean, with the way that the Islanders are playing and with what Laner is doing, uh, he's definitely somebody who you have to keep an eye on for the rest of the season. But the top overall fantasy hockey goaltender right now, uh, season long, and I think towards the end, of the, you know, that can carry to the end of the season, is Mark Andre Fleury from the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, leads the NHL with 23 wins. He's 10th with a 2.48 goals against average and leads the NHL with six shutouts right now. Uh, he is the top-ranked fantasy goaltender in Yahoo Standard Leagues right now, and I think that with the way that team is playing, uh, he definitely has a chance to carry that all the way through the end of the year. Um, Andre Vasilevsky has had a bit of a down season. Obviously, he missed a big chunk of time with that injury. Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets, He's always going to be up there as well. Uh, but the way that Flurry is playing right now, uh, I wouldn't bet against him for the rest of the season. But definitely the top guy to target uh, if you're looking for a goaltender to pick up at the moment who is widely and readily available, I would be targeting Robin Lehner. But in my opinion, the top fantasy goaltender to finish out the season will continue to be uh, Marc-Andre Flurry until Vegas slows down. James, great stuff as always, man. Always appreciate the time, and let's do it again next week. All right, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And again, Happy New Year to you and the guys up there. Yes, you too, brother.
James Harding, NHL.com's fantasy hockey writer. And again, you can send your fantasy hockey questions to him via Twitter at jharding underscore hockey. Well, that'll do it, folks. Another edition of Hockey Analytics in the books, the first of 2019. Happy New Year, everybody. For producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto.